Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. What they discover is, again, that the person that's got the highest IQ is not necessarily the best leader or gets on with people the most. People that get on with people the most are the people that have got a high level of EQ, emotional intelligence. Everyone needs a philosophy, a strategy, but you've got to go beyond it and do something. But a company full of philosophers is not going to get anywhere fast. No. Conflict can be resolved out in the open in such a way that even if everybody's not happy with it, everyone at least understands and respects it and, and feels confident moving forward. So Colin, on the podcast, we cover a number of, of different categories of topics. Most of what we talk about is kind of the psychology and the science of, of customer experience. We've also delved a little bit into the news, topics related to customer experience. And we've also delved a little bit into the business side and, and advice for managing your career and so on, and advice in starting a company. Today, we want to talk about something that you've done well over the years. Well, your consulting firm, Beyond Philosophy, has won a Financial Times Award for being, what's, what's the exact title of the award, Colin? It's being one of the, the leading management consultancy organizations. And we've won it for the last three years. Three years that? in a row. I mean, that that's a big deal. Management consulting organizations, you know, you're, you're competing against some of the largest firms yes. in the world. Yes, now. That, that's a large category. And you, you've been recognized, and this is an award where your customers, your clients, nominate you for this award. So very prestigious, very well. So my question to you, Colin, simple question. Yes. How did you do that? It's, I bribed a lot of people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, short episode this week, folks. I guess that was the answer that I was not expecting, but it makes a lot of sense in retrospect. No, I, you started from nothing, you know, however many years ago. You built an organization up to the point where it's been recognized three years in a row as being outstanding in its field and doing really great. So if someone wanted to replicate that success, what's your secret? What do you do? So let's go through uh, I, what I've done in preparation for this is develop five rules for building a successful CX team. Okay. Oh, uh, so it was more than just you is what you're saying. You, uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was. I'll admit it, I'm a little disappointed. I, mean, kind of a, <laughs> I know you like to walk around in a cape and shiny boots. I'd assumed it was, it was you. Yeah. I'm just running into this telephone box and ripping off my clothes now. Exactly. <laughs> To your point, I've, I've met most of your team at various points, and you do. You have a fantastic team of people that makes all of this possible. So let's dive into some of the detail, because I think this applies whether you are a consulting organization like our good selves and you're building a, a team, or whether you are, you're in an organization and you're looking to build a successful CX team. So as I say, I've got five rules here that as I've, as I've thought about it. And it wasn't that we paid 
the FT or anybody else a hell of a lot of money. The, the good news that, that I was particularly proud of with the FT award is that they actually go and ask customers who they would nominate. They also ask our peers. So they, they go to other CX organizations and ask uh, as well, which makes it particularly proud for me, I have to say. So what's the first thing? So rule number one, and really this is based upon the name of our company, okay, i.e. beyond philosophy. I've always thought that it's really important that you employ people who are good at strategic thinking, but who are practical doers. So that's rule number one. So employing people who are strategic thinkers, but are practical doers. And what do I mean by that? So you need to be able to think strategically. You need to be able to think, you know, what's the experience we're trying to deliver? What are the emotions that we're trying to evoke? We need to understand where the organization's going and all the rest of it. You need to understand, you know, the, the profitability in each of the areas and blah, 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 blah. But critically, and this is where a lot of organizations fail, is they employ really clever people who aren't very good at doing stuff. And that's the practical doer bit. The reason we called the company Beyond Philosophy is to try to get over that thought of you've got to, everyone needs a philosophy, a strategy, but you've got to go beyond it and do something. But a, a company full of philosophers is not going to get anywhere fast. No, it's absolutely interesting. And I, and I love talking intellectually to people and understanding things. You then go, uh, the question I always, when I was in corporate, I used to get all of the big consultancy companies coming in and see me because I was in a senior management position. They would be talking to me about this wonderful, wonderful theories about things. And then I'd say, well, how do we do that then? And they would run a mile, basically. So for me, that practical doers is the key thing as well. I love that. And I think it's undervalued culturally today. I was talking with a friend recently about all these books and courses on leadership and how important you know people value leading. And, and this friend of mine said, almost glibly, but also very seriously, what we need are more courses and books on following. Yeah. <laughs> following is a bad word because it's, it does come off as derogatory. But the way that you put it, practical doers, that's a big deal. And that that is no less valuable. And in fact, in many ways, it's more valuable. I mean, when you look within organizations, you have all these high-level strategic people. But depending on your corporate structure, your entire company could succeed or fail on the backs of your salesmen and saleswomen who are actually doing the hard work every day to make sure that product sells. A lot of that's, you know, tangentially related to the strategy. Yeah. And, and the danger is, is that people, you can lose touch very easily yes. when you're into, you know, when you get into senior management positions, you can lose touch and you can intellectualize everything. And then you suddenly go, it just doesn't work on the ground floor. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great idea, but it's just totally impractical to implement, you know, uh, through scale or or whatever reason. It may look wonderful on a four by four model, and mm-hmm. I've drawn a few of those in my time. Actually, when you go down to do it, it's it's a challenge, basically. Yeah, I love it. So strategic thinkers and practical doers, and you want both. Yes, which is a great point. Yes, and ideally. If you can get one and the same person, that's even better. But I have to say that is rare. 
I mean, a part of the lesson from Moneyball, both the book and the, the movie that followed after it, is that too often we look for the superstars who are good at everything, whereas you can build fantastically successful organizations by taking skills that reside within individuals and putting them together into a team. Yeah. So yeah. A person can be really good at one small part of this, and then you get somebody else who complements their skills and you put them together that can be an amazing organization. Yeah, it's absolutely about the whole diversity thing. One of the things I've always, when you talk about leadership, it made me think one of the things that I learned early on was leadership can emerge from anywhere. So just because I'm the boss, two things. One, it doesn't mean to say that I'm the cleverest person because I'm not. No, no, I can attest to that. In fact, I've got a assigned <laughs> affidavit right here. Uh, I was just waiting for an opportunity to drop it. Yeah, no, I, I've I've heard you espouse that in meetings. How all of us are cleverer than than any. None of us. of us are as clever as all of us. Yeah, yeah. If you want to phrase it properly, fine. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. Don't don't worry about the detail. Just that's, just think that, <laughs> just think strategically, Ryan. That'd be fine. That's your main leadership skill: is correcting my <laughs> misstatements. Yeah. <laughs> And the second thing is, so one is the leader doesn't have to be the cleverest person, and I certainly don't think I am. The second thing is that leadership can emerge from anywhere. So yeah. if it means that I have, you know, if one of the team has got this great idea and they're much better at that than I am, then I will do what they tell me to do. Yeah. And I tell them that, you know, I'm going to do what you tell me to do because I am now, you know, I'm... Have you ever heard of situational leadership? Mm-hmm. That is, I think, a great model. And I won't go off at a tangent but with this now, but I would suggest to people that they look up uh, The One Minute Manager, a fairly old book, Ken Blanchard, where he talks about situational leadership, which I think is a really good model. Let me go on to the second rule. Build a team with a high EQ or emotional intelligence. So you want to build a team that's got a high level of emotional intelligence. Now, again, I'm sure uh, the majority of people listening to the podcast will know what emotional intelligence is, but emotional intelligence, but for those who don't, just a brief overview, they reckon that there's sort of two forms of intelligence. There's how quickly you can process data effectively, or not just data, but how quickly you can think about things. But also the EQ side is that emotional intelligence, which is, this is a book written by Daniel Goleman some time ago now. And he talks about the fact that, do you understand, can you read people? Can you understand how they are feeling emotionally? Do you understand how you are feeling emotionally? Uh, And this is important because what they discover is, again, that the person that's got the highest IQ is not necessarily the best leader or gets on with people the most. People that get on with people the most are the people that have got a high level of EQ, emotional intelligence. And that is good for, A, understanding the customer and talking about that, understanding that emotional part of an experience, but also from the organisation perspective, understanding that what you are going to be doing, the impact that has on people, being able to read people internally to find out whether they are pro, anti, passive aggressives, etc., etc., and just being able to have that ability to get on with people. And they tend to be more natural leaders 
as well in my in my view yeah that's great i mean this is kind of an old idea that there's multiple different types of intelligence and there's lots of research to back it up i think too often we think of intelligence very narrowly in terms of memory for facts or ability to do mathematics or some of these other things some artistic talents and emotional intelligence can get overlooked or underappreciated and I, I think you're absolutely right it's it's one of the keys to uh, good leadership to getting along well within organizations to being sensitive to customers needs uh, all of those things why not let colin and ryan speak at your next conference as you can hear they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple inspiring and humorous way contact beyond philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com contact that's beyondphilosophy.com contact So number three is gaining a respect or having a respect for the cross-silo understanding. When you're trying to build a successful team, you want those team members to be seen by other people as understanding each of the silos and being respected for their understanding of each of those silos. So let, let me go the opposite way for the moment. You can imagine if you've only worked in marketing, you may understand marketing really well, but actually you don't understand customer service at all, or you don't understand HR at all, or you don't understand customer success at all. You've got a great understanding of marketing, but you know, and respected in there, but actually you're not respected in the other areas because you don't really understand it. And understanding those crossover points, I think is also underestimated. So one of the reasons, as we know, things fall down in organizations from a customer experience perspective is because of the the lack of good handover between those groups and understanding the value chains in each of those areas. Making sure that you're getting somebody that uh, ideally who has worked in each of those areas or again, building a team that has got that understanding. So you may have somebody that's, you know, an expert in marketing, but somebody is also that's worked in customer service. Ideally, you would get somebody that's those worked uh, uh, across each of those areas. But I think that's a key going forward as well. I mean, you, you and I have talked on the podcast before about how the best CX plan in the world will fail unless you have the key stakeholders within an organization on board. And that's never within the silo that you're working in by itself, right? So you, you need to get multiple people from multiple points in the organization on board. And it doesn't matter how excited you are about CX, if you can't get other people excited about it, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, and, and I think part of the key, mate, for me is you just need to understand the problems that you're causing people. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of putting it. It's all right saying, okay, guys, you need to go and do that and you need to change your processes or you need to change the way that you'll work now for that reason. But if you don't realize the impact that that's going to have on them, that's a problem, basically. I was talking with a friend yesterday who was trying to get me to collaborate on a project with him. And in his explaining to me why this would be a great idea, he just kept listing off benefits for him. <laughs> Like this, this would be so much more efficient for me. This would allow me to to utilize your expertise for me. And I and I, I had to point out to him at some point, like, well, you know, I we actually have somewhat divergent interests on this point. And is there anything that I might be getting out of this? 
Yeah, I mean, some of this goes actually goes back to your point number two about emotional intelligence. Some of yes. emotional intelligence is empathy and looking through other people's eyes. Being in a separate silo increases the difficulty of that. So if you've worked in marketing your whole career, seeing things from the perspective of those in finance can be difficult, but that doesn't make it any less important. I've had the same one this week. As I'm an influence on LinkedIn, I get a hell of a lot of emails through LinkedIn. Okay, and I get a hell of a lot of people asking me to contribute to their book or so I got one this week. Could I provide a page uh, for their book? And I'm going, I could spend my whole day doing this type of stuff, basically. So I was nicely saying, "Mm, I can't really. The point I'm trying to get to is exactly like your friend. All this guy kept doing was basically telling me why it was good for him because <laughs> he could then effectively get out to my 300,000 followers. And I'm thinking, I said, yeah, but look, I could spend my day doing this and then not spending any time earning any money, building a successful organization to put food on the table for my family. And it was only when I got to that sort of bit where I was just being more open with him. Some would say blunt. because it was like you're not listening to what I'm telling you that nicely leads on to uh, number four which is what you want to do to build a successful CX team is you need to be able to find people who can deal with conflict but with integrity Okay, so conflict is an undoubtedly, unfortunately, a byproduct of improving the customer experience. Why? Because we're talking about change and people don't like change. That phrase I've I've used many times before is everyone's happy until you ask them to do something. So everyone's happy going to those strategic conversations where everyone thinks strategically and draws things up on whiteboards and everything else. But when it comes down to going, okay, so now we're going to implement that and that means your organization needs to change, that's when the backstop and the hack will start rising. That's where you've got to be able to deal with that conflict. But the key part, sorry, let me just one, one, one last thing. The key part you, you is, handled that conflict with integrity between yeah. the two of us just now, Colin. That was well done. <laughs> Thank you. But it is that integrity bit. It's being seen that you are doing this for the reasons of trying to improve the customer's experience rather than you have some agenda that you're trying to push. You're trying to increase the stature of of marketing over sales or you're doing it for some political reason yeah you're dealing with that conflict but with integrity and the integrity is you're trying to do the right thing for the for the customer does that make sense yeah that's great i also like that you didn't put it in terms of avoiding conflict correct or reducing conflict as you say change is inevitably going to involve conflict so either that can be tamped down and then rechanneled in really unhealthy directions where you know people aren't allowed to voice conflict, so instead they backbite and sabotage you secretly. Or conflict can be resolved out in the open in such a way that even if everybody's not happy with it, everyone at least understands and respects it and feels confident moving forward. As opposed to, if, if you have power, you can resolve conflicts by just stomping your foot down 
wherever you need to, to, to smash things down. That's not going to be good in the long run. No, absolutely. And again, if you've got high EQ, if you're understanding the sort of the strategy of where you're trying to get to, if you're understanding how that plays out across silos, then all those things come into to play. I always remember I ended up having to let one of the team go. You talk about building a team. I ended up having to let one of the team go because they weren't good at dealing with conflict. This was actually one of our admin people. She was unable to say no to people. In, and so this is an internal position in, in Beyond Philosophy. But she was unable to say, no, I can't do that. Or no, I haven't got time to do that. Okay. And as a result of her not being able to do that, she took on too many things. Yeah. And as a result of taking on too many things, she never did anything well. Yeah. That's an exaggeration, but you, you get the point I'm trying to get to. Kind of overcommitted and therefore under Yeah, just took on too many things and would say, well, this guy wants this. They try, I was trying to arrange this, trying to arrange that. Well, yeah, but look, you can't do everything. You can't work 24 hours a day. We don't want you to work 24 hours a day. What we want you to do is we want you to prioritize the things that are important, which doesn't mean to say that you have to do my things first. Yeah, you prioritize the things that's important, but you've then got to tell people, you can't do these other things. Yeah. And what she didn't like doing was telling other people that she couldn't do it and because she didn't like conflict, basically. I think that's a really interesting example because I know we have a, a global audience. And so I'm speaking from kind of my own perspective here. But in many cultures, conflict avoidance is valued and we teach our children not sure. to fight. And we, you know, sure. And so the messaging can come across that we shouldn't upset people. And I think that in general, that's good advice and, and a good thing. But there's a, there's a huge gulf between being an absolute jerk and pushing people around and just folding and never saying no and avoiding conflict at all. There needs to be this middle ground where conflict can be resolved in a, a healthy way and with integrity. And that's the key. So again, the person I'm referring to was a really good person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And motivations were good, right? Not wanting to upset people. They not were. To stay, you know? Yeah. But it was causing her stress. Yes. She was trying to please everybody, but couldn't please everybody because there was too many things. Therefore, the team were getting upset because they were asking her to do something and then she wasn't doing it and then they were having to do it. So it ended up causing more conflict than... Yeah. Than anything and classically you go through all the all of the sort of the coaching and stuff like that but you've really got to you've really got to be able to deal with conflict and and again i go back to if you've got eq and you can start to some emotional intelligence you can start to do that but you've got to do it with the right motivation which is that in integrity piece The last one that I would throw into the fray of building a successful CX team, and it sort of is a natural follow-on, is employing people with natural communication skills. Communication is so, so, so important, and particularly in a role that is across silos can be um, causing people to have challenges and um, changing the way that they're, they're working and stuff like that. And how I break this down is 
it's not just about sort of natural communication skills. It's about the way that people talk about things. So they've got to be able to talk at a senior level and they've got to be able to talk at the shop floor level. You've got to have that respect, okay? Two things that I think are really important. And again, I'm thinking about my, uh, my team now. There was one guy who was undoubtedly cleverer than I was, or I, I am, but he overcomplicated his explanation of things. And I used to say to him, imagine I was down the pub with your mates. How would you explain what you were just articulating to me in a different way? Because he used to lose me, basically, in his intelligence, I have to say. Yeah, very intelligent, but just couldn't put over that intelligence. And it used to take me two or three times, probably because I'm particularly stupid, but used to take me two or three times to try to understand where he was coming from. So that ability, the point I'm trying to make here is the ability to see a complicated subject, and you must get this, mate, but articulate it in a simple to understand way that your mates down the pub can understand is definitely a real skill and a real enabler. Please tell me he explained things exactly the same way, only this time drawing a complex map on the pub table with beer bottles and (laughs) and peanuts. Yeah. Well, I have to say, after the sixth pint, it it, it, (laughs) It all starts making sense. It all started to come together for me. (laughs) Okay. Get drunk and explain it to me again. All right. Now you're making more sense. Yeah. No, obviously this is, I mean, this is the challenge of education, right? Explaining complex ideas in a, a digestible way. I Rather than give you an example from the academy, though, I'll, uh, I'll give you the example of my, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, who I think excels at this. He's uh, He's got a master's of engineering, material science or, or mechanical engineering from uh, Georgia Tech, which is one of the best engineering schools in the world. Uh, brilliantly intelligent, worked as a, a kind of a, an advanced prototype researcher at Caterpillar, designing equipment and solving problems. And then he also has worked as a manager overseeing lots of people on the shop floor. And he can, I mean, he's got kind of a a folksy, relaxed attitude and he's a great storyteller, but he can connect with people at all levels and all walks of life and all, you know, kind of levels of education and understanding and explain very clearly what he wants and does so in a way that doesn't condescend or make people feel lesser or, or dumb. And it's a skill. And I, yeah. Out of all the engineers, <laughs> like that's the rare skill. And uh, and he's done well in his career and, and I anticipate he will continue to because it is so difficult and such a valued skill. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good example. And for me, one of the ways that you get that communications over, and again, uh, I'm sure many of the listeners will know this, but through telling stories. Yeah. And what people will hear on this podcast, you know, is just the anecdotes if you can draw a parallel by telling somebody an anecdote or draw a parallel by telling something, you know, your brother-in-law or whatever it may be, then A, it brings it down to earth and it makes the point that everybody has experienced. So one of one of the techniques that we use to try to get over just custom experience stuff is, is just asking people to articulate to us what's the best or worst experience they've had as a customer. Mm-hmm. And if you get them to articulate that, 
then you can use what they're telling you to show them how they can improve their own customer experience. And because they're dealing with it, because it happened to them and they felt the the implications of those things and everything else, then it starts to become it become real to them. Oh, that's interesting. So you, you're kind of getting them to reframe their experience as a story that they're the main character in. Well, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're running a, uh, I was reviewing some training that uh, we're doing with a client in a couple of weeks time. And one of the things that we would often ask clients to do before they attend the training is to take a picture of an experience that they've had in the previous two weeks leading up to the training and to be able to come into that training and go, here's a restaurant I went into last week and this is what happened and that's what happened and et cetera, et cetera. And by definition, you're you're getting them to think about it and then you're pulling it apart and you're pulling on the bits that got, went particularly well or things that went particularly badly, but they're seeing it in that environment. The key connection you're making is, you know, you can do that. And in fact, the event that we're running in a couple of weeks' time is with a healthcare equipment supplier. So this is in a B2B environment but people will come along and talk about the fact they've been into a restaurant or they've bought something online or whatever it may be. So, you know, they're in a consumer setting is the point I'm trying to make. But you can then pour over those experiences to that B2B environment. Why? Because actually you're dealing with people at the end of the day. I love that. So let me just summarize and go through those five rules again. So five rules for building a successful team, CX team. And, you know, I, I know this works. I've done it literally many, many times. And interestingly enough, I was actually asked by a client the other day to go in to help them with some recruitment and sit in and um, help them interview some of the candidates. So five rules. One, you need to have strategic thinkers and ideally practical doers or strategic thinkers who are practical doers in an ideal scenario. Two, you need to employ people with a high level of emotional intelligence so they can learn to, to you know, to read people, to get on with people, to be able to, to understand those emotional aspects. Three, you need to get people who are respected for their cross-silo understanding. So they don't just know marketing. They don't just know sales. They know and understand the issues across the whole of uh, the organization. Four is deal with conflict, but with integrity. So if you're dealing with change, as improving the customer experience will be, if, you've got a, if you're implementing a CX team, you're, you're by definition dealing with change, you've got to be able to deal with that conflict but with integrity. In other words, recognizing that the reason that you're doing this is because you are trying to improve the customer experience. You're not doing it for some political reason. And by the way, we did a podcast on company politics two or three weeks ago that you may want to listen to. And number five, last one, is employing people who are naturally good at communicating with people. So they've got some natural communication skills. Uh, because you need to be able to deal with all different types of people from senior people to more junior people but you've got to be able to to articulate complicated problems in a simple way 
If you're trying to build a successful CX team, I hope that helps. My last comment on this is that that's great advice for building a CX team. I think most of those are good for building any team. They may apply, some of them may apply more to CX teams than some other types of teams, but that's just good advice for people. I agree with you, mate. I think that that is very true, particularly if you're dealing with anything to do with change, because change is always, always difficult. So we hope that's been of uh, use to you today, dear listener. If it has, it would be really great if you could share this with someone else. We're always looking to grow our audience. So if there is one person that you could share it with, please do so. That would really help us. Okay, thanks very much. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.